Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of timely and informative policy discussions brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this episode, U.S. Custom and Immigration Service Deputy Director Jennifer Higgins, Arvind Kohli from Dell Technologies, and former DHS Acting Secretary Elaine Duke highlight their career paths and give advice to emerging women leaders. This program was originally aired March 17, 2022. So I'd like to start with mission, which is where I think we always have to start. What do you see as some of the most compelling and evolving threats in Homeland Security today? You know, it's not going to come as any surprise to the group that's listening today that, you know, homegrown extremism, lone wolf actors, cyber threats, transnational criminal organizations, terrorist fighters who are exploiting conflicts that are happening right now around the world, ideological, ethnic driven terrorism threats, the, the threats abound in our landscape right now. One of the things, though, that I think is sort of interesting, given the work that I do in the immigration space, is probably a threat that people don't immediately think of when they think of homeland security. And that is, I find an emerging area to be particularly interesting in the area of misinformation malinformation, disinformation, you know, the use of those tools to be able to undermine institutions, but also taking a look at how our own ability or inability to manage our day-to-day work can actually also lead to that kind of lack of trust in the work that we're doing day-to-day in the federal government. And so, for example, at USCIS, you know, we are dealing with tremendous backlogs in our organization, and we have to rebuild our programs and our systems. And I think that's an area right now, rebuilding trust that when someone files an application with us, that we're going to be able to process it, we're going to be able to process it, process it efficiently and fairly is so, so critically important. And it's, it's, you know, it's not an imminent threat like the other things that I mentioned at the start. But it is a very real threat to the work that we do and, and, and to how the public views us. But Jennifer, what you just said, the point on trust and USCIS, I am somebody who went through the naturalization process and completely has experienced it myself. So taking it upon myself, I will say, yes, those eminent threats are there. They're being catered to. All of the technology partners in the ecosystem, the industry is constantly front and center. That is is the thought, right? On cybersecurity, data, all of that good stuff, advancing technology to meet the needs of people. But what is most important to the heart is trust. And trust is earned when we actually touch individual lives. It's interesting because... You talk about trust. And one of the things we hear a lot about is diversity and inclusion. It comes up in virtually every conference or webinar we see. So, Jennifer, from the federal perspective, what are some of the barriers you're seeing for a diversive and inclusive workforce? And how are you working on those in the federal agencies? Yeah, I think for us, it's really interesting. The mission that we have, I think, across the department, but in particular within USCIS, really does attract a very diverse workforce. And so I think one of the things that is a big barrier for us is that it's very easy to pat ourselves on the the back and say, oh, we're doing great. 
we have a diverse workforce. I think if you dig deeper, you realize you might have diversity in your entry-level positions, but there are tremendous barriers that abound in our leadership positions. And so I think it's really, really important for us to dig into the reasons why that's the case. And I think in a lot of ways, it's taking a look and recognizing at the barriers that people faced before they even joined our department. You know, whether it was growing up in a particular community, whether it was, you know, challenges that they had um, in school, you know, microaggressions that they had to deal with on a regular basis. All of that led people to have a particular experience even before they enter the DHS workforce. And so for us, it's really critical to recognize that and to take those things into consideration when we're making hiring choices and hiring decisions. And so a big part of what the department is doing is actually trying to do more barrier analyses to be able to really assess okay, maybe on the surface, we have a diverse workforce, but if we just dig a little bit deeper, we will realize that we actually have a lot of work that we need to do. And so whether it's in, you know, the selection process, whether it's interview panels, whether it's the assessments and questions that we're asking, we need to make sure that we're not exacerbating those barriers that exist. And Arvine, specifically for technology, there seems to be barriers. Um, for diversity and inclusion and, and women uh, specifically. What do you, are you seeing for those barriers to entry, but also the barriers to executive positions? And what do you feel industry is doing to address those? Elaine, that's a great question. Number one, working for Dell, I'll just tell you that we have put this in practice. We believe that diversity fuels creativity. So we have really taken our goals and put them into implementation that by 2030, 50% of our workforce and 40% to Jennifer's point of our leaders will be women. It is just so important to make that intent a reality and start to implement that in small strokes within the organization. So we are really taking that seriously because number one, I think it is. It's not the color of your skin or your orientation or any of that. I think what diversity pulls in is creativity. The intention of doing something different comes into practice by surrounding yourself. So I think overarchingly, the technology industry is starting to pop our head out of the water for the past decade and say, we need that diverse pool of people <laughs> that come in from different experiences to enrich our future. Thank you. Well, it's interesting. And in looking at the questions that came in advance from the audience, what the, our listeners want to hear about most is mentoring advice from you two. You have, in essence, made it. And it's so exciting to be here for you. So what advice would you give young women who are just starting their careers, either in the federal government or industry? Number one. I think it's really important to stay authentic and bring yourself, your brand to bear. You are second working for X, Y, and Z. You're first working for who you are authentically. And that's why people value you. Number two, make sure 
you are not shy to be a mom, to be a wife, to be a relevant other to others in your life. Because in my humble opinion, it is life and work balance. And I think every individual, irrespective of their gender, needs that. And uh, this era of COVID has made us uh, probably appreciate that far more because we have seen dads giving hugs on screens just as much as we may. Actually, I haven't seen a mom giving hugs on screens, but I have seen dads giving hugs on screens. So um, the world is very tolerating of the fact that we are who we are first. So bring your authenticity, bring your background, bring your enriched experiences and your caliber to bear and don't be shy about it. Yeah. Jennifer? Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to, 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 to kind of build on um, the great points that Arvreen made. You know, it's interesting. I usually, when people ask me questions like this, I usually tell, I start by saying, I'm the poster child of what not to do when it comes to your career. It, it, it worked out for me, <laughs> but I was never intentional about the steps that I was taking. And in fact, you know, I often needed mentors, informal mentors, sort of prodding me and pushing me to put in for the next, the next thing. And it's so heartening to see today that women and men in the workplace are just much more intense, intentional about their career goals and priorities. And I think that's really important. But what I would say is what I think did work for me, even though it wasn't intentional in my mind, is that I did two things. I had really great informal mentors, meaning I chased working with people that I liked working with, that I knew I could learn from. And they in turn took interest in me and really helped guide me in my career. The second thing is, you know, I never chased a grade. I never chased a position. I chased working with people or I chased working on a particular mission. And so when you are working on something that you believe in, even though there are hard days or there's administrative work that is, you know, frustrating or gets in the way, if at the end of the day, you can feel connected to the work that you're doing, you're going to excel no matter what it is. And so to me, when you're thinking about your career advancement, do be intentional, but don't lose sight of the fact that it's really important to work on things that you love and to work with people that you respect and that you can learn from. I love that. And two words I heard from both of you were, were, well, one was authentic from both of you. And then Arvine, from you, I heard branding. And although we don't use branding in the federal sector, you do get a professional reputation. And I was wondering if, what does your branding and your authenticity do in terms of leading a diverse and inclusive workforce? How is, how important is that and why? I think it is extremely important. So branding your representation is something that people remember you for. It is who you are. That after I leave this room today, you're going to remember me as with a few thoughts in your mind. That, in my humble opinion, is your brand. Why is it important? Because of the reasons Jennifer just said. I think the one commonality I took out of both of us is we've had informal mentors. When do people start to put a thumbprint on you 
when they recognize the authenticity of the cause you're after. There is just like Jennifer, I have not chased the job in my life. What I've chased is my passion and and my ambition has automatically flown into my passions. And I think when you understand and take a pause in your life to recognize or introspect what that brand is that represents you from the outside as well as from the inside, because I think on the outside, it is how you carry yourself. On the inside is what drives you to carry yourself that way. And I think that, I, in a sense, is, is branding. It is, and it is extremely important for the authenticity of your cause. I think the authenticity piece um, is so critical here when you're talking about your brand. You know, over the years, I've played with the idea of, of trying to, we should all keep trying to, to address, you know, our weaknesses or those areas that we could improve areas of opportunity, if you will. But I think we also need to get really comfortable owning who we are. And for women in the workplace, that can sometimes be very difficult. And sometimes we have to feel like we need to be more serious or be strong and the smartest person in the room and don't smile too much, but smile just enough or, you know, and, and so I think we need to get really comfortable with who we are. And I am someone who is going to be loud and I'm going to laugh loud and I'm going to make jokes, but I'm also going to work really hard and I'm going to be really passionate about the work. And that's what you get with me. And I think if there's one thing that I learned the most over the years is owning that personality that you have inherently in you and using it as your strength. And I would just share one last thought on this, which is back to, you know, always needing to be the strong executive female in the room. I think the other thing that I've really learned is there is nothing more brave than being vulnerable and showing vulnerability. And it's okay as a woman to show passion, excitement, sadness as a leader. That is extremely profound and true. Vulnerability is a strength that you have to be really self-assured to, to be able to exhibit, but it's such a great mentoring tool. And um, in the questions, a few people shared their vulnerabilities. And I was wondering through your mentorships, um, have you gotten any good advice to this? One person talked about being uncomfortable with, with public speaking and how do you get over that? The second one is one I struggle with being an extreme introvert and still being effective in the, the workplace. Anything you'd like to share what you've learned over your careers? I actually, do you mind if I take this one first, Arvind? I um, Please go ahead. This is very near and dear to my heart um, because I tell people this now and they don't believe me. But when I started in the federal government, I had just gotten my master's degree. It was my first federal job. It was with the Department of Justice. Back then, we were the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And I worked with a small group of people on refugee issues. I mean, really, the office was nine individuals. And they were lovely people. I worked with them day in and day out. I was so terrified to speak that even in a small meeting with those nine people, I would shake, I would blush. I, 
it was very difficult for me to have the confidence to speak. And one-on-one, I was great with people. But as soon as it was a group, I felt like all eyes were on me and I was being judged. And my boss at the time realized that this was going to be a real hindrance for me. And so she took a tough love approach and started signing me up for doing mass trainings with people. And there were times when it went very badly and my hands would shake and I would be embarrassed. But each time I would do it, I would get better and better at it. And now I still get nervous. It is one of the things I love the most is getting up and doing training or doing sessions like this. And it's really about practice. And if I can do it, I'm telling you, anyone, anyone can do it with practice, mastering the the topic that you're going to be presenting on. Those two things, I promise you, it's hard, but you will make progress and you will you will feel so accomplished for getting over a fear like that. And what you just gave us, Jennifer, is something I think we really need, uh, especially this week, is, is hope. And I know I started a GS7 and learned a lot. Um, Jennifer, do you mind sharing how you started? You said it was yes. right after your master's degree, so you, yes, you were probably yes. a GS9. I was. I was a GS9. I came in as a presidential management intern. And what's what's funny about it is I stumbled into this mission. I stumbled into the immigration mission. I, you know, I had done some work with Amnesty International and had been involved in human rights, but I thought I would be working at the State Department or USAID. And I I actually got a call from someone from the INS saying, come, we want to interview you for this job. I didn't even give them my resume, but there was a book of resumes going around that they saw. And it was funny. I I told my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, that, oh, I'm going to go do this interview. It'll be good practice because I get so nervous, (laughs) but I'm never going to take this job. And I went in and it was with their Office of International Affairs. And they started talking about asylum and refugee work. And then I just was hooked into this mission. And I think, you know, my lucky stars every day that I would get up and be able to do this work. And then after September 11th happened, and I was in DC when it occurred, we got moved into the Department of Homeland Security. And what I found was I fell in love with the mission even more because it really bridged what was such an important humanitarian mission with national security. And I think a lot of times people think that mission is at odds with one another, but it is two sides of the same coin. And in order to have these robust humanitarian programs, you need to make sure that they're operating fairly and safely and that there's robust vetting involved. And not only that, you know, being able to actually have these programs can diffuse situations around the world that otherwise might become more tense. So it's just, to me, I feel so lucky that I I went into that practice interview that day and I've made a career out of it. Arvind, why don't you share some more hope for all of us that we can start from very uh, austere beginnings and, and rise to the top of an organization? Oh, well, thank you so much. I am soaking this in. What beautiful experience, uh, Jennifer, there. Uh, that is absolutely commendable. And thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. 
humble beginnings are very important. And I'll tell you why. Because they make you treasure every step along the way. And they make you, in a speck of a second, go back and put yourself in the shoes of somebody else in the moment. So uh, for me, there is nothing more important than remembering that I was in some capacity in someone's shoes many moons ago. And so from, a, from that standpoint, the growth uh, trajectory, you know, there's a few things Jennifer said there. Uh, I cannot relate to the introvert or, um, you know, the other aspect of it. I have always been the loud person and and easy to you know just mingle with people and and get on a stage and talk so unfortunately that part of the bit couldn't couldn't gel but what i do bring is the fact that know your know your story well know your go to market know your understand what you're out there to talk about uh, people respect you for what you bring to bear And when you're going back to one of the last questions previously, when you are passionate about what you do, you are also hungry. And so you're always very read into that topic. You're so interested in finding out about it. And when you're working in that space, you will grow. You will gain the confidence. I want to hit on one point that I have used in my career upon the recommendation of a mentor, a confidant. When you're in a room, and if you are doing this for the first time, or you feel like you have a broad audience, and gosh, you know, just spell out your vulnerability. People sitting in those chairs are commending you being where you are already. So Elaine, one of your questions earlier was, how do I kind of get in front of audience if I'm an introvert? I'm kind of weaving this into that is that is what I've done in my life. When I've been in front of a group of people, I've never been shy to say, hey, you know what? I'm doing this for the first time. So collaborate with me along the way. People appreciate you for that. And and as you grow in the journey, you appreciate that aspect and you want to kind of keep it there forever because that comes back to being authentic. So hopefully that helps. This time is going so quickly. So Arvind, you grew up into the executive uh, level at uh, Dell. Jennifer, you've been in the deputy secretary's office. You've been in the secretary's office. You're now leading CAS. What have you learned and how have you adapted your your branding and your leadership styles along the way? What last words of advice can we pass on to those listening? Okay, thank you. A couple of things. Surround yourself with people that are smarter, different, unique in different ways than what you are. If you bring in a diverse workforce around you, you will accelerate your growth as cause, a mission, an institution, a technology partner, whatever you are doing, you will see the results. Appreciate people for being different because you can learn from them. Jennifer, myself, Elaine, 
we're, I know every one of us here will raise our hand and say, we learn something new every day. I'm not sure I could say any more eloquently, but I will just add one trite point, but that I think is actually really important as trite as it is. And that is one of the things that, I, and, and I made some of these mistakes along the way in my career, but one of the things that I see new leaders or folks in the workforce doing that get them into to trouble in terms of their leadership is forgetting how they would want to be led. And, you know, I think when we think about who do we want to work for and how do we want to be treated by our leadership, we want to be empowered. We want to be engaged. We want to contribute. We want to be trusted. And a lot of times new leaders feel like they have to control everything that they have to be the smartest person in the room, going back to Arvine's point, and that somehow it is weak to have people around you supporting you or knowing more, um, and that they have to micromanage every little thing. And, and, and that is, you will never have people who want to continue working with you and who want to, to, to support your mission if you forget how you want to be led. And, you know, right, that's like going back to kindergartner, kindergarten, the golden rule. But really, truly, I see it all the time with new leaders that they forget that. And I myself have forgotten it in the past, but it's something that I try to remember so that, that I bring that to bear when I'm working, working with a team. Well, this has been amazing. We need much more time. I feel inspired. Um, my passion is renewed. And I feel hopeful um, for diversity and inclusion, for our federal um, and, and industry workforce. And even more proud today to be um, from the United States and um, a citizen and living with in this wonderful country with people like you. So uh, thank you for, for being here today and thank you for your continued, continued work in the Homeland Security Arena. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and an honor to be with both of you today. It's a sincere pleasure and honor likewise. Thank you so much. We wish the best to everybody. Thank you for listening. Subscribe today so you never miss an episode of HSDF The Podcast and visit hsdf.org for more information about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum.